This is Democracy, a podcast that explores the interracial, intergenerational, and intersectional unheard voices living in the world's most influential democracy. Welcome to our new episode of This is Democracy. Today is another very special episode as we have the opportunity to talk to a longtime friend and a pioneer in education, uh, John McWilliams. Uh, We're going to talk to John today uh, about a very difficult but ever-present issue in our society, which is how, especially in educational institutions, do we reckon with the history of racism in our own institutions? How do we address um, the legacy of past injustice within the institutions that we occupy today? And how do we use that recognition and that history to help us move forward rather than trying to sweep it under the rug or pretend it's not there? How does it become a source of positive movement and reform and innovation and integration for our our society as we go forward. John's been a pioneer working on these issues. Uh, He's the head of school at Montgomery Academy in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, The Montgomery Academy is a a very distinguished K through 12 co-ed non-sectarian day school serving the river region community uh, around Montgomery since 1959. I've had the opportunity to visit Montgomery Academy and it is a truly uh, great school. John graduated from Montgomery Academy in 1996 and he's the first alumnus to lead the school. It's quite extraordinary. He's the alumnus head of school uh, in this moment. He graduated from Yale University, where he received his BA degree in history, of course. Uh, that's where I know John from. We go all the way back to, to Yale. Uh, he also holds a master's degree in liberal studies from Dartmouth College. And I've been on his case to get a PhD, which I hope he'll do one of these days. Uh, upon his graduation from Yale, John returned to Montgomery Academy to teach in the history department to coach speech and debate uh, before he became middle school director in 2011. He's acted in various, every other role at the school, from associate head of school, acting interim head of school. He's probably coached every team. I know he led the theater program for a while. uh, And he's now, as I said, head of school at Montgomery Academy. John, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. Uh, It's such a pleasure to be with you and with Zachary. I'm a big fan of the podcast, uh, and it's been many many a time that our family has listened to the podcast when we've been in the car uh, together. And so it's such an honor to be with you today uh, at this uh, critical time in our history. Well, and we're so grateful for you taking the time. We know you've got a lot on your plate right now, some of which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, We will start, of course, with Mr. Zachary's scene-setting poem. What is the title of your poem today, Zachary? Soiled. Let's hear it. My school. It is a substrate of the American miracle. It sticks to us, children of immigrants, and we become the enzymes of bigger reactions. And we ourselves are the glue of American dreams, and we are drinking too much coffee while doing calculus at 8 a.m. And we are privileged progressives who don't understand we are the product of resegregation. And to us, our school is simply a building nestled between hills and highway, with a hideous parking lot and hallways that look like prisons. And to us, it is the place we begin to understand Shakespeare, our taught to diagram cell biology, learn to look the other way when the squad cars come to the school downstairs. We eat breakfast on the way to school as we loop the long overpasses and spaghetti off-ramps, the long concrete wall of separation that cut through the city since long before we were here. And it is impervious to rain like it is impervious to people, 
and the McDonald's and Mexican grocery stores that we avoid like the plague cluster around it like cells to capillaries, and some of us drive miles to buy lunch like we drive miles to get home. I have always found solace by making the grime into poetry or finagling the inequalities into rhythm. In some, they put their depression to song or pour their anxiety into music. But are we really listening to the pulse of our school? Are we truly counting off the heartbeats like metronomes? Or are we sticking our stethoscope to the radiator so we don't have to hear the heartbeat die? Oh, America, when will we learn to recognize the black and white and the gray and beige? When will we finally begin to remember the time bombs our great-grandfather set? When will we wake up from the sleep of complicity to find we've soiled the bed of freedom? That's a very moving poem, Zachary, and it reminds me of our many drives to school before uh, the COVID crisis. Uh, what, what is your poem really about? My poem uh, on the surface is really about my school and the school that I attend, but it's really about uh, how racism pervades even the most basic of institutions in our society and how it really defines not only our larger lifetimes, but also our ordinary lives and our daily lives. Well, John, I think that sets the scene perfectly for uh, for for the world you navigate and 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 lead so brilliantly every day. Um, how do you think about these issues at Montgomery Academy? Well, first of all, thank you, Zachary, for such a, a beautiful poem uh, that does, I think, set the stage for uh, for this conversation. You know, I've I've been thinking uh, about the history of the Montgomery Academy uh, as long as I have been a part of the academy community, uh, particularly as an adult, uh, as a teacher of history. Um, I had a poster in my classroom when I taught AP US history for a decade uh, that said that you cannot know where you are going until you know where you have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's important for for us to take a serious look at how our institutions have functioned um, over the course of time and to be willing to, to, um, to go places where sometimes we may not have felt comfortable going before. And, and while I had thought about it a lot and had done a lot of independent research uh, into uh, the history of the school, uh, I really had never, uh, spoken out uh, until this moment. But as I considered what was happening in the world around us, I felt compelled. I felt that uh, we have to speak up uh, and we have to uh, show a willingness to uh, experience some discomfort. Uh, And that's how we're going to grow uh, through a willingness to think about the past uh, but really uh, to think about the present uh, and to use the ways that we think about the past as a mechanism through which we can challenge ourselves to look at our current realities. And I think that's the beauty of what, yes. your, what your poem is, is getting at, Zachary, is that uh, it's not just to relegate the past to the past, right? Uh, as, uh, you know, the, the great Faulkner quote that, you know, the past isn't dead. It isn't even past, I think is, is something like along those lines. Um, and that we also have to think about that in the present and, and focus on ourselves uh, today. And, you know, I, I think that your poem also, Zachary pointed to the idea, you know, you mentioned uh, privileged progressives. 
we have to think about, even as we are engaged in, in very altruistic educational missions, uh, we have to think about the impact that we have uh, in our society, what role privilege plays uh, and how that shapes the world that we create uh, for our students today and, and the impact that that has had in the past on where we're going. It's, it's such an important point, John, but it's such a difficult topic to talk about. Um, I, I was so moved by the letter that um, you published on the 6th of June. Uh, it's such a courageous letter. If I might, I want to read a, a little bit of it and, 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 and ask you to elaborate because I think it builds perfectly on your, your reflections on how the, the history is actually part of the present also. Uh, you wrote, we must be willing to confront the uncomfortable fact that the Montgomery Academy, like many other independent schools founded in the South during the late 1950s, and that's true across the South and in parts of the North as well, uh, that it was not immune to the divisive forces of racism that shaped this city, Montgomery, and community over the course of its history. We don't like to talk about it, but in 1959, Montgomery Academy first opened its doors in the old governor's mansion as an all-white school. It was initially designed as an all-white school. Montgomery Academy remained an all-white school for the first 14 years of its existence, and it was seen by many as one of the early catalysts for white flight from Montgomery's public schools. This is a topic we've talked about, uh, white flight from public schools in, in many of our episodes. Thankfully, you wrote, John, much has changed in Montgomery Academy in the decades following the admission of the first African-American student in 1973. Our current mission statement, core values, and portrait of a graduate create a framework for transcending the problematic origins of our school and the complicated legacy that it has created. Um, those are very courageous words for a head of school, for any person to articulate uh, to the community that supports your institution, many of whom were part of the institution in the past, right? Absolutely. Um, I appreciate your your pointing the, the courageous aspect of it. I am thankful that the there has been a tremendous outpouring of support uh, for for the statement that that I have made from alumni and and faculty and parents as as well. Um, but it is still a, a hard thing uh, to to address. Um, and uh, I, I think it's worth uh, expounding upon a little bit of the of the history here. Please, um, please. The narrative that has often been reported about uh, the history of the Montgomery Academy uh, was that there were a group of prominent Montgomery citizens who came together uh, to create a organization, a school that would elevate the standard for primary and secondary education in Montgomery, uh, and that their focus was on, uh, on academic mission. Uh, and to a large extent, the historic record of the school supports uh, that narrative. Uh, and there are stories about gatherings in living rooms to talk about the, the status of education in Montgomery and a desire to, to, uh, to elevate uh, through a school that, uh, you know, according to the, the documents that created it, uh, 
the purpose of the school is to the purpose of the corporation is to create, maintain, operate, and conduct a modern private school in the city of Montgomery, Alabama, for the purpose of providing the highest quality instruction. The program of studies, and I'm reading this, will be vigorously academic, pointed to prepare students for successful entrance to the most selective colleges and universities in the nation, and would point towards high achievement on the college entrance examination board. Um, but at the time, in the original advertisement placed on February the 8th, 1959 in the Montgomery Advertiser, interested individuals were invited to attend a meeting. And that advertisement clearly stated that the school would be for boys and girls of white parentage. It said that explicitly. It said that explicitly. And while it is true that in the newspaper articles that followed at the time that a number of the founders uh, pointed out that they did not want the school to be seen as a, quote, stopgap measure, the school advertised itself as an all-white school and opened as an all-white school and remained an all-white school for the first 14 years of its existence. And, you know, these were not the individuals who founded our school. These were not individuals who were outspoken in the Citizens Council leadership. These were not uh, people who were uh, active members of, of extremist organizations. These were businessmen, community leaders, people who had led uh, united appeal efforts, uh, or these were people who had served the country in World War II. There was a Supreme Court judge among these people, a two-star general as among these people. So these were leaders, doctors, lawyers, as members of, of the Montgomery community. But I still think that we have to recognize that with that phrase, boys and girls of white parentage, that uh, this school began with a specific trajectory and a specific, um, in a specific moment. Um, if you look at, uh, so that, that happened in, in February of, of 1959. In December of 1958, uh, actually in the Montgomery Advertiser on December the 30th, um, there were two main articles on the, appearing on the front page. One was the decision of the city commission uh, at the time to close all of the parks of Montgomery in response uh, to uh, a lawsuit that was seeking to, to integrate the parks. And rather than wow. integrate, there was a closure of all the parks. And also, in that same issue of the newspaper, uh, there was an article pointing out that uh, the Montgomery Improvement Association, uh, MIA, uh, and Dr. King announced that their next focus would be on the integration of Montgomery schools. And that led on January the 2nd to, um, to the leader of the Ku Klux Klan in Alabama making a proclamation that there would be bloodshed in Alabama if there was an effort to integrate schools. Of course, this is all after, uh, after Brown and Brown too. And Governor Patterson, who had his inaugural address uh, in January of 1959, also pointed out 
the fears of of what was happening related to uh, this movement towards integration and basically threatened in his speech that that the efforts of agitators as he labeled them uh, might uh, lead to uh, the dissolving of the public school system altogether. Sure, sure. And so I think that in that context, you had a number of people who, who probably were concerned about what was going to happen, but they also had a position of privilege to create an institution for white families that would certainly not be uh, available, at least at first, to uh, black members of the community. So, so, John, what do you say to um, many, I think, uh, well-meaning uh, citizens who would say to you, this is all history and it's important, but, but we're a different society now and this doesn't matter so much to us now. Uh, obviously, you believe it does matter. How does it matter now? And, and, and how do you think about the role that history plays in the day-to-day education of young people in your school today? Uh, thank you for that. I, I think it, it is important uh, that we understand the uses of the past, right? And w- why are we doing this? Why are we uh, bringing up this that happened over 60 years ago? Um, are we, am I, in bringing this up, uh, trying to uh, judge people in the past uh, based on current uh, standards? Um, well, first of all, I would say that that one of the reasons why we have to address this history is that we have not openly discussed it before. It's not a matter of judgment. It's not a matter of, uh, of trying to make... Uh, people feel bad, uh, but it is about an honest accounting of where we have been so that we can have these, although they're sometimes uncomfortable, these important conversations to lead us forward. It's very important for us as a institution now that states as a part of our core values that we uh, seek and value diversity in its many forms that we have these honest conversations with our students of color, our faculty or our staff members of color as a part of the Montgomery Academy community, uh, that we can have this conversation about the, the challenges that, that, were, that existed in the past. Uh, and, and furthermore, I think that having that sense of, 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 of uh, I, I might say, freedom to talk about the past also leads us to be more introspective about the impact that it's having on us today. Um, while I did focus on uh, talking about the history of Montgomery Academy, I also spent a lot of time talking about, in the statement, I, I spent a lot of time talking about where we are now uh, and uh, making sure that we are doing all that we can do to uh, really think critically about um, about this particular moment in our history uh, and how we as an educational institution whose uh, mission is to create leaders, if we are developing leaders, how are we going to equip our young people today with the skills and habits of thought that they will need in order to be those leaders in, uh, in the world tomorrow? And, and I would say that you cannot do that without 
an appreciation of, of, of difference, uh, a respect for the diversity that exists within our, uh, within our society and world, and without grappling with the issues of privilege uh, and, uh, and, and how that impacts uh, some of the challenges that we face as a society today. Yeah, uh, sort of on that note, I found in my experience at my high school, which is a uh, overall very privileged magnet school that sits right on top of a uh, very underprivileged majority minority uh, school, that even though many of my peers and their parents are willing to to recognize the racism that exists in our society and has existed, it's very hard for them to look at their own community and their own experience in that way. How do we force kids and parents to recognize their own privilege without shutting down communication? That is a that is a big challenge, Zachary, and I, I appreciate your your pointing that out. Um, you know, I think th- I think the first place to start is having conversations and uh, and be willing to sort of lean into the discomfort a little bit uh, and say hey we're this is a a a a tough thing for us to to grapple with you know we may struggle with this we may come of it from from different perspectives uh, but the 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 opportunity to engage is worth it in the end um, and you know I hope, that uh, here in Montgomery, of all places in the world, uh, we are starting to see uh, our community really deal with the history uh, in new ways. And I'm I'm really excited about what I've seen in Montgomery. I'm sorry that the uh, COVID-19 uh, challenge has in some ways uh, hurt uh, some of the museums and and monuments here in terms of bringing people to Montgomery because we were really on a on a momentum uh, and I, I have to say I, a lot of that has to do with the with the bold work that Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative have done uh, I think we've started some conversations here in our community uh, that have have moved into our, our school as well uh, and it's all a part of that process of of really really understanding the history. Uh, of course, you know, <laughs> I certainly began uh, my career as a as a educator in the history classroom, and I owe a great uh, debt of gratitude to uh, Jeremy to your uh, mentorship as my teacher at Yale. So I do come from this uh, from this bias of of the importance of history, but I, I have to say that there is no more important time for us to really make sure that we are are studying the past, that we uh, read books, that we uh, listen to uh, people who can reflect on what happened in the past, and that we, uh, that we learn from those opportunities uh, in order to shape how we can move forward. Well, you're, you're you're much too kind, John, in in pointing to me. I, you, I certainly have learned as much from you, if not more, than you've learned from me. Um, and and on that note, um, and I hope this is not an uncomfortable question, but how do you think of yourself as a white leader of a of such an important institution in Montgomery during this moment? How do you how do you situ, situate yourself in the historical discussions and also in the contemporary? decisions that have to be made about how to address these issues? Well, I think the first thing is that I, as I, and I tried to, to highlight this in, in my statement, but 
I have to be willing to to check my own privilege, right, and to recognize uh, that many of the opportunities that that I have had, uh, I've certainly I've certainly worked hard, and I've certainly uh, tried to to earn the positions that I that I have gained. But uh, but I do recognize that I, as a result of my skin color, have been afforded opportunities that. Uh, so many people have not in this world, and um, and I have not had to be to occupy spaces where I have been doubted just by my uh, because of my uh, color of my skin, of my presence in a room, or the way that somebody ha- perceives me uh, in in uh, pretty much any situation that I've encountered in my life, and um, and so. I have to, the first thing I have to say as a leader of that or of an organization in Montgomery at this time is to recognize that uh, and accept that and, and work, work through it. Um, the other thing is that, that I, I try, and this is something I struggled with about whether to, 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 to write or not to write. At, at first, I sort of wondered, what do I, what can I add and um, I do think it's important that we approach with a sense of humility and, and a focus on listening right, rather than necessarily speaking. I ultimately decided that I needed to speak, that, um, that, that a head of a school in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, a head of an independent school in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, needed to, to address these issues in an, in an open way. Uh, but I also... I also say that in the sense of of knowing that I still have so much to learn, and I'm st- continually challenging myself to 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 learn more and uh, appro- learn how to approach these issues in productive and positive ways. But of course, that's what you know. That's what the pursuit of excellence means to me. Right. Um, of course, right. that's the tagline of our of our of our uh, <laughs> school and our, the core of our mission. But I, I have a tendency when I talk to our faculty and staff to remind them when we talk about the cultural norms of our faculty and staff. I say the pursuit applies to all of us, yes. and and for me as the 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 head of school, it has to begin with me uh, as 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 a leader in that and being willing to challenge myself, be willing to get uncomfortable myself uh, in order to in order to, to chart a path forward for the school. Well, and as you, as you show in your letter, just in the style, as well as the substance, uh, you're embodying servant leadership, which, which by its nature, uh, requires an understanding, uh, a bathing in the history and a willingness to constantly learn and rethink assumptions. Um, and, and, you, and, and I think your letter is a model of that, John, and I know your, your leadership is too. How have um, students from uh, minority backgrounds in particular and faculty from minority backgrounds, how have they reacted to the, this moment? Uh, how, how are they working through this? I have received a number of communications that have pointed out uh, how significant this moment was uh, perhaps even more than I had anticipated, where people have reached out via text or an email or a call uh, to say, your letter brought tears to my eyes, one said. Uh, another said, you have no idea how important uh, hearing that is for our community. Uh, and I've been deeply touched 
uh, by those by people reaching out, and and I I hope that it will create the space for continued work. It's not it's not just about a statement, right? It's it's about the work that that's going to accompany that. And uh, we've been engaging in work uh, over the years, uh, and that you know goes back some time and 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 some in very intentional work over the course of the past two years in particular. Uh, but I but I know that there's still more work to be done. And we're going to keep we're going to keep doing that. But I've, I've been very thankful uh, and and humbled by the the, the expressions of gratitude, uh, and I hope that will you know continue. Well, building goodwill and and building stronger relationships uh, might be one of the real um, values that comes out of this. Recognizing that it is by talking about these uncomfortable um, experiences in the past and the present. That we can learn to understand one another better and 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 become more effective, more uh, more happy in our relationships with one another across across backgrounds. Right, and it's it's also I, in some ways. I was having a conversation with someone the other day who said, "You know, I, I almost feel like you have lightened our load a little bit in terms of." And, it, and I want to be clear about that. It's not. It hasn't lightened our load in terms of the work that has to be done. I'm sure not. No. <laughs> but, but in terms of once you make that point, and Brian Stevenson makes this point so beautifully in in some of his remarks on this subject, is that 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 we are all liberated by these moments of just leaning into the discomfort. It, it's uncomfortable, but once you go there, we now will be able to have conversations that we have not had on, on the campus before. Um, and I, I think that that is, um, I'm hopeful that that will be a transformative moment for us. Um, and, it, you know, it sounds simple enough, uh, but it, I, I, I hope that what people can see in when we talk about this is that, you know, take, for example, the concept of implicit bias. So long in this country, when we've talked about bias or when we talk about structures of racism, particularly when white people talk about it, we get very uncomfortable. And it leads to this moment of sort of defensiveness of saying, well, well wait a second, are you calling me a, a, a racist? And what we have to recognize is that we have to get beyond this. Um, uh, uh, Robin D'Angelo in White Fragility talks about the good-bad binary, right? That we have to sort of be able to move beyond that and sort of recognize this. It's not about whether you're a good person or a bad person. We all have bias. And it's once you recognize that, then you are able to move through it. Um, how do you recognize it? How do you create that awareness? And so there are structures of, uh, because of the history of this country, there are structures of racism that are prevalent. But once we accept that, that's where the work begins. Let's accept that and let's figure out how we can move through it. How can we be our best selves in that environment? Right, right. How how can we take these institutions as they are and work on improving them? Again, bringing that point about excellence to everything that we do. Uh, John, we always, as you know, like to close on a positive note, and there's there's so much hope in everything you say, so much optimism um, 
in your realistic recognition of the difficulties around us. How do you think we can make certain that in the fall, uh, when we hope we'll be able to return to our schools and workplaces and our restaurants and vacations and things of that sort, um, that we will continue to talk about these things? How can we make certain we don't replay some of our history, which is to have these moments of intense focus and then go back to the status quo? How, how do we keep the positive conversations going? Well, I think it, it has to come with sort of a continued awareness and retraining ourselves to, to think about these things on a more regular basis uh, and to accept that. Um, you know, I also think that it can come through in the everyday acts um, I think about our, our lower school and I think about, uh, we have a wonderful program that is a lot of schools use called responsive classroom. And, uh, each day begins with a morning meeting, uh, and a child looking into the eyes of another child. And of course it was on zoom a lot this, this, this <laughs> spring, but, right. and it could be again in the, in the future, but a child looking into the eyes of another child and recognizing that child's humanity and something about them that day. And when I think about the work that has to be done, I think that if we really dedicate ourselves to the to the the building blocks of of the ways that we can operate in in empathy towards our fellow humans, in respect uh, of them and their dignity as an individual, that through those everyday acts that we can build um build a, 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 an awareness of these issues. And it does sound optimistic, I know, uh, but I, I, I live in that world. Uh, <laughs> I try to wake up every day with focusing on uh, that pursuit in the way that I live my life and in the way that I want to lead uh, our community to take those steps forward. But I am, uh, am very, uh, very hopeful. My, my wife has a t-shirt, you know, Sarah, but she has sure. a t-shirt that uh, uh, that that came out. That, that there was a, a company that does like little stayings from the south, and and um, she it says the teachers are going to turn this thing around. And um, of course, you can insert whatever you believe into this thing, but um, I do believe that teachers uh, are the core of what. Uh, how we can address these issues, uh, that educational institutions, uh, whether they be uh, uh, public schools, independent schools, colleges, universities, graduate schools, that by engaging in the work that we do each and every day uh, and engaging in it intentionally and honestly, that we really can uh, make a difference in this world. And I, um, I've dedicated my career to doing that and want to keep doing it. Well, and, and you are, you're leading, inspiring, and, and creating hope, which, as we know, is the most powerful um, element of change. If you have hope, uh, you, have, you have a reason to try, you have a reason to go forward, and, and leadership that offers realistic hope is leadership that, that offers a pathway that allows us to move forward and think about positive change. Zachary, do you think the, these conversations will continue, and do you see this as a different moment for our society and for your generation? Uh, as you've heard me say many times, Zachary, right, uh, historical change is generational. Are we in this moment? Do you see these conversations that John is leading so well? Do you see these conversations continuing uh, as we go forward? 
Yeah, I, I think that this moment is particularly special, not because it's going to change everyone everyone's minds, but I think it's making people more willing to listen to these issues and to learn about the history. And I think that's going to be really powerful moving forward. And for my generation, a generation of younger people growing up today in America, that's going to be even more important because we will be learning about these issues in real time. And, and seeing this history as your future, not just the past, right? Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your insights, your experience, and, and most of all, your, your optimistic, hopeful, and uh, just inspiring perspective on these issues, John. It's really a privilege to be your friend and to watch you do what you're doing as a leader in our educational world. Thank you for joining us, John. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to staying in touch in the years to come and continuing to listen to your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And and Zachary, thank you for your uh, realistic, inspiring, and hopeful poem and for all that you and your generation are doing. The only uh, change I'd make to the T-shirt, uh, to Sarah's T-shirt that John described, is it's not just the teachers that are going to help fix this. It's it's the young people who are going to help fix this. And, absolutely. And absolutely. I agree. We are so fortunate to have uh, in all of our communities uh, so many uh, dedicated educators like John and so many open-minded, idealistic young people like Zachary. And thank you to our listeners who I think embody this as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of This Is Democracy. This podcast is produced by the Liberal Arts Development Studio and the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. The music in this episode was written and recorded by Harrison Lemke, and you can find his music at harrisonlemke.com. Subscribe and stay tuned for a new episode every Thursday featuring new perspectives on democracy. 